All right, director, piece, theater, narrator guy, it's the cops. Hip her. You'll never catch me, coppers. Pull over the, uh, you. If I just jump from this very tall fire escape, I'll get away scot-free. Do I make you horny, baby? Yeah. <laughs> oh, behave. Yeah. Let's get ready for some mass quotes, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot that you started it with an intro. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, do I make you horny? Yeah. Those, uh, those amazing <laughs> the mask quotes. 1994's The Mask. Yeah. That's a big one. Yeah, we were saying that with we were saying that in the Blockbusters <laughs> video for years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Adam. Yes, Abe. You might be asking why I've done this. <laughs> <laughs> I know why. I can see the glint in your eye. Like, why is uh, why is Abe about to do a whole episode on the mask? I'm starting to think that we're picking movies either to troll each other or to troll Mike. Like, mm-hmm. Those are the reasons why we do this, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, either it's here's a movie I love, or it's like, what's gonna really at first make Mike be like, "Come on, really?" <laughs> and then, like, you have to prove it. And he's like, well, okay. That might be true. Uh, I think the answer yeah. is that this is uh, my show and I, I get to do what I want and, I, and <laughs> what I love. And I love doing this. Uh, I want to talk about the mask. And I want to mm-hmm. talk about uh, I want to talk about color in the mask. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Because I got to. <laughs> Huh? You're, you're... you're coming in with some real weird energy. I'm liking it. Yeah, all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but for real. Uh, like sometimes I think that bad movies, uh, you know, get a bad get a bad rap sometimes, and this is one of them. I think. Uh, I think that you know it's like kind of been my long time thing in the show. Uh, sometimes the craftsmanship and like the visual strategies that the director directing team employs. Uh, for all intents and purposes are just as good as like what we think of as good movies, you know, like the craftsmanship doesn't save the movie, but it also isn't a bad movie because of the crafts craftsmanship. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, right. I think you're saying, at least I'm hearing you say that, uh, even bad movies, somebody cared a lot and tried to make an artistic statement with them. Yeah. Whether they succeeded or not and is, yeah, I, is usually I think it's more obvious issue. with uh, impressive like CG movies like Transformers or like badly written action films that still have these set pieces that are like, oh, look at that. That's amazing. So that's obviously like what I'm saying is very simple when it comes to those films. But in the case of comedy, uh, there's not much uh, to be in awe of other than like the comedian in the movie, right? It's just uh, Jim Carrey in this one doing his Jim Carrey of, stuff, right? A lot of people think that's what comedy filmmaking is fundamentally. It's like just, yeah, you know, roll the camera, the let face. the guy do his thing. And yeah, I think there's some right. truth to that. It's usually, and sure. comedies are usually just, uh, especially in this era and every, and eras before, it's usually just people in rooms talking and they're just charismatic and funny. Yeah, I don't need to explain comedy. Uh, but, <laughs> but you I, could. But there, you could do But it. there's a yeah. whole team there, and, you know, aka filmmakers, who start to, like, develop these uh, things to do. And they usually include, like, visual nods to the themes of the movie. And, like, in the case of The Mask, it's always hilarious. Because, uh, what do you... 
what are you doing, buddy? What are you doing? The mask? You making art? <laughs> huh? So what do you what do you got? What do you what do you do? So maybe I think most people have seen this. They've definitely seen the memes. It's definitely a meme film. It's up there with uh, Shrek, another green man. <laughs> um, in right. this one, it's obviously the themes that play are like Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde thing they got going. So. Uh, uh, and like it kind of talks about how you make bad choices and right choices when you gain power and like, let's figure it out. Uh, Stan Liepkiss gets this mask and uh, he's kind of a dick about it because the mask is kind of this chaotic, you know, force of nature. Uh, doesn't really matter uh, to what I'm saying today so much because I'm talking about color. Um some people can argue that like red means passion or black means death. And there's color theories about that kind of stuff that you're taught in art school. Right. That I think is pretty uh, available to most people with a brain. Um, and that's fine, but that's not really what I'm talking about <clears throat> today. If you go and rewatch the mask, I'm talking about identifying elements in the story and then the directors tying them together with a color or a color strategy and continuing to do so to promote that system in your movie until the end. That's the thing that filmmakers do with color, with, you know, texture, with, you know, staging, yep. with blocking, with lighting, with makeup, hair, all that stuff. Surprisingly, the mask also does this as is, is what I'm arguing. So uh, <laughs> somebody stop me. Get out of here. Get the fuck out of here. Uh, <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> no, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I will tell you, I just want you to know before you get into the substance of this argument, I hated this. I hated this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I hated it. Oh, yeah. Now, Let's did you remember that. it fondly? Did you remember this fondly, this movie? Uh, no. Um, it's in that weird space where it's like when I watched it, I thought it was Okay. You know, it wasn't like Austin Powers. It wasn't something that I would no. like quote or walk around, but it it was memorable and big enough that like you couldn't like erase it from the zeitgeist and you couldn't avoid it. Uh, and so it always had that kind of clout uh, in society post 1994. Uh, there's also like the, 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 the swing craze in like 1997 yeah. and stuff. Yeah. That really stood out for me is that like this movie was ahead of that and it took over right. pop culture for like, right. Not took over, but it was a big, uh, a big move it back. Definitely, and that was, this bit. is 94, 96 was right. swingers, which is usually credited as the, uh, but it's not because 1997 right? was like yeah. big bad voodoo daddy and stuff. But this features a band. I forget the name of the band, but this features a band that they're actually in it uh, at the Coco Bongo. Uh, uh, and they are one of the big hits. It's the Yo Pochenko or whatever it is. Um, yeah. The, song. Yes. Uh, and that was on the on the on the top 40 or whatever. That's um, interesting. Can I just say yeah. like just just impressions walking away from it? This is like not even in my top five Jim Carrey comedies. No. Like it's like not even like now in hindsight, but I remembered every single line from the trailers. This movie oh, was. Oh yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's why you can yeah. avoid it. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. it's it's uh, truly of the films that I can think of for Jim Carrey, it's the one that's the most smoking. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of smoking but not a lot of fire is my argument yeah here. there you go it's a lot of, uh, smoke, a lot of hot air 
Uh, yeah, yeah, he's way too big. Like, I mean, he is big. He's always been big. But what's he supposed to do, though? Like, I like I look at this movie and I see that it's bad, and I think Jim Carrey is doing so much better than everybody else in it is doing. Oh, he's doing like, a lot. Yeah, he's really he he's working very hard. He's not very good at a believable straight man at this point yeah. in his career. No, um, I mean he's like, like Stanley comedy is, Sisyphus. Like it's insane. Yeah, but he, you can tell he's putting it in check as Stanley Ipkiss, and Stanley Ipkiss is just not a very compelling character. No, but he's an when he puts man. the mask on, yeah. Well, and he's not a very good everyman because he's Jim Carrey, and Jim Carrey's not an everyman. <laughs> but so, but when Jim, at least not at that point. Sure. But when he puts the mask on, like he's doing physically some extremely impressive things, like the dancing. That he does right. is like, wow, he can really dance. Yeah. Like, in that bullshit makeup he has to do. Like, he's really going he's for going it. He's going for it, uh, yeah. The uh, the scene with the where he's jumping around the cops and, like, leading the um, the dance. Yeah, the chick chicky boom. That's mm-hmm. the best scene in the movie. Is, it's uh, insane what how, I thought. Yeah. like, charismatic he is. I mean. Yes. The, it it's works. not exactly it's, my cup of tea i don't know whose cup of tea it is who's like really in the mask but <laughs> I, I think it's like a meme at this know. point right it's mean yes. like, kind of like shrek which is a legitimately good movie or like b movie uh which right. is a legitimately bad movie uh right. the, the quality of it doesn't matter as much as like the memes that came from it make it like push it in the weird zeitgeist stratosphere of like untouchable in a way like it's not like a qualitative assessment it's just there and imprinted in all of us and we laugh at it because it's like why of all things this like there's so much in the world to be right. not bored about <laughs> right. and you chose right. this to like be in front of my eyes and be in my brain and right. like we share it together memes are strange i i, it, yes. I don't understand agreed uh, uh spicy uh, meatball is what they are. <laughs> I, by the way, when I know when I found out that line was in this movie, I almost called you instantly. Yeah, I was I know. like, "My God, I, you've been you quoting the mask me... all this time! Mm-hmm. Holy shit!" Mm-hmm. I was like very happy and also angry, yeah. like both things at the same time. It's like that's fucking what. Yep, yep. Uh, and the reason that you know that line—that's that's a testament to like it's like it doesn't matter if it's bad kind of thing. Because mm-hmm. you knew the line, you didn't even know where it was from. You just knew that sometimes people say that's a spicy yes. meatball. Well, I've known you to say it. Yeah, uh, because at, I think the wonderful mask is times. hilarious. So you still think it's funny? You still find it funny? I mean, I do. Uh, I hope you okay. understand with all of my caveats that I just gave how I think it's funny. Of course, that's I, no, no, more no, no, important not, than like I, I am like going out and buying. <laughs> mask merch like jeff may or <laughs> tom ryman buying like superhero statues and if being you like look up- at how cool this is and i'm like no i don't think it's cool i don't think it's funny and cool <laughs> if you show up in that yellow hat uh that'll be I like that'll that, seal though. you in my heart but I know it's you also would. because i'm yeah. i'm i like i like chaos you know this it's a, a, yes and it's like that my is deal. what this character is so I, I see the abe appeal He's not Bugs Bunny enough for me. Mm-hmm. Like, like Bugs Bunny is like omnipotent, obviously, mm-hmm. but also like approachable. Like, he's not an aggressive person. Yeah, this guy is. Uh, <laughs> this guy's very aggressive. The mask and, is, by the way, yeah, or Big Head, as he's known from the comic as well. Oh, that's interesting. Depending, so, on, yeah, I'll talk. Uh, yeah, let's talk about that. Uh, it sure. comes from the comic. There is a comic, and it's I was Dark Horse. By that. 
yeah. Dark Horse made this, which is a well-known, like, you know, darker publishing company for comics. And the adaptation, this adaptation takes, like, s- some serious liberties uh, in order to make it a, like, PG Jim Carrey vehicle, right? Um, it's... The comic is not PG. It's very dark, features like graphic violence. Uh, I haven't read a lot of it, but it feels like it can get into like the spawn territory at times. People legitimately go insane as a byproduct of wearing the mask, for example. Uh, Yeah. Though they do keep a lot of the like he's a sex crazed lunatic. Uh, It's still a superhero story. uh, But they're just darker themes. They're more they're like adult only. Um, So it goes into the story arcs about like abuse and such. It's just not very similar to the product that they made. Uh, I don't, I haven't read enough to know if like the um, pop culture references and stuff, I think that might entirely be uh, Jim Carrey's doing because of like, that's kind of his, one of the methodologies of his comedy, but I can't really speak to that. I'm not an expert on the comic. I know they did effectively the same thing in Ace Ventura. Like mm-hmm. Ace Ventura is supposed to be sleazier than it is. Right. Yeah. But he's you know, like all of a sudden he's, uh, you know, Jack Torrance and the shining for no reason. And it's just like, Oh, I guess that will, that, that will be fine. Or, you know, in this movie, he does like a whole bit where he accepts an Oscar and everyone in the room, he has like reality bending powers. Like in the MCU, he yep. has the reality stone. Like everyone buys it. Like that. Yeah. This is, yeah. They're crying because he gave an impassioned speech and then they're immediately thrown into, no, no, I had a gun on you. So it like makes no sense. And that slapstick kind of, uh, non sequitur, uh, aspect of comedy, uh, is definitely what unhinges this thing. Um, yeah, it's cartoon know. logic. Yeah. I mean, it, like that, that's what it is. Like, I it, don't, it's most clearly manifest yeah. <laughs> during the, during the Chicky Boom scene Sure, when he actually makes people against their will join into the dance and then they get sucked up into it. Yeah. It's very, it's very duck season, rabbit season, man. Like right. that's what it yeah. is, you know? I honestly uh, don't care anymore about like the thematic evaluation of this film like i don't care to talk Why, about you're it. killing you're killing me because that's exactly what i want to talk no about. i don't want to talk about that at all. i know i know Go uh, ahead. this is like i actually want to look at it like a, a craftsman like i want to separate like the shittiness of the movie and look at like what's actually good about the movie i think that that's funny but I totally get it. So feel free to chime in at any time. I'll do my best. I'll do my best uh, to keep on target. But I do want to get on task it. and talk about what yeah. like, I think The Mask does. Um, I'm so ready. imagine a film and it's not The Mask, right? And then like, <laughs> hear, hear me out. <laughs> so I'm ready. <laughs> there's a few colors in this movie uh, that are called out and become like demarcators for specific things. And there's specific strategies. They don't see apparent at first, but they're absolutely there. And I'm going to argue they're intentional. <clears throat> the colors that I'm mainly going to talk about today are green. That makes sense. You know, yeah, yeah. red right, of uh, is definitely plain, uh, has a strategy. And black and white as a kind of combo unit has a strategy. Um, obviously, green is the mask. It represents this kind of like, I guess... Uh, uh, like a sinful immoral color tagging scenes because uh, there you can see it's not just in the mask itself. It's other places that I'll go into red and black and white are all kind of more together. 
they're more neutral in aspects of like, I don't think that it's usually what people are wearing uh, in this movie. Uh, and in my opinion, because of one very specific scene, it represents power. Green usually represents lack of control, but red, black, and white, if someone's painted with strong reds, blacks, and whites, they usually have the power in the scene. Um, hmm. If Stanley is involved in those in those scenes, it typically means what he's doing is wrong or has an opportunity to do what is right and, or in by the end of the film is doing what's right. Um, other color symbolism going on in this film comes from uh, specifically the scene that I'm referencing is at the beginning where Stanley meets Tina uh, Cameron Diaz and argues that his black and white tie is called a, it's a power tie and it makes him feel powerful. So it's literally yeah, the Rorschach. In the right. yeah, exactly. yeah. They have that Rorschach they have the whole conversation. He also doesn't answer her when she's like, what do you see in the tie? He like can't answer it. Right. Because he doesn't uh, know what power that. Yeah. 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 He, he doesn't have my power yet. He wants power. But anyway, correct. That was my favorite uh, bit of writing in the movie, by the way, mm -hmm. that I thought that's, that's, it, that seems also, yeah, but it's like one of those things, like as a screenwriter, you're trying to shovel into comedies like like somebody explaining the character. And like, you know what I mean? Because like, cause they, they want to make as much space as they can for Jim Carrey to do smoking and like twirl in and out of scenes with his fucking weird eyes and shit. Mm. Uh, and so they, they have to jam these like lines through. You know, it's a problem that we have in comedies. And that was actually a really nice scene. I kind of wish they just stuck with that as the only explanation of his character's flaw. Like it would have been right. like, ooh, really nice. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there you go. A good scene. Um, and it usually it sets up the power dynamic, color dynamic that I'm going to talk about. So there's um, there's some general green stuff in the movie, right? <laughs> like, for example, Adam, did you know that the mask in the movie is green? <laughs> Somebody stop me. Uh, the second one oh, that's generally is the Coco Bongo sign. And the exterior and all the neon lights in it are green. Uh, that kind of gets back into the sinful aspect or like the immoral aspect. Uh, I think yeah. they're doing something with that. The interior also has a lot of greens, strong greens. Um, and I'm going to show exactly how they do that. <clears throat> the radiation of the mask itself is green. And most yep. importantly, perhaps, the wides of the city uh, and one pivotal scene at Landfill Park uh, yep. everything in around the city has a green hue until the very end, which it doesn't. The city itself is oozing with sewage. This is, um, also from the comic, but it's also like, if you cut, if you like stop the film, when they show the wides of like some of the buildings, like the town itself is like a marked with like ill repute. It's kind of like a Gotham. Like, yeah, I, I think was that's, gonna ask you that. Yeah. So you're saying that it is supposed to be a New York adjacent kind of city. Yes, yes. But okay. unlike but and much like Gotham, it like is not a great place, you know? Yeah, like, there's it had a lot a real, of crime. It, um, it had a real Miami vibe to me. Uh, it does, and, because I think the Coco Bongo stuff also makes you feel like there's this tropical theme going on all the time. And the color schemes fit into a Miami That's right. Uh, vibe too. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm so going to talk interesting. a little bit about that. Oh, about great. The pastel uh, I'm choices. Ahead of you. Um, great. So let's get into particular scenes 
and how the visual strategy is employed and what I mean by visual strategy. So let's look first at the Coco Bongo valet scene, which is like right at the top. Stanley gets he gets a loner car and he's going to the Coco Bongo to see Tina uh, to see her show. And um, he can't get in because his friend who's got tickets, like he gets, you know, pushed out by the bouncer. And there's a scene with the valet, the valet wearing a big red jacket. Um, Mm -hmm. So we got greens and reds in the scene. And he's the quote unquote, like the valet is quote unquote, the problem in the scene because he's making Stanley confront the truth of his reality. Uh, you know, like Tina's seen him with his, you know, like his diapers on, like he's, he, he, he's powerless. Uh, Stanley doesn't want that to happen, obviously in front of Tina. So, uh, notice how Tina is wearing white, black pinstripe dress. Yep. The other person who is the valet himself, who's like, here's your car, sir. Here's your car. He's like, that's, that's not my car. Um, that stuff (laughs) is all. And then if you look at Stanley, he's wearing muted colors almost entirely as when he is uh, Stanley Ipkiss. Um, and it's indicative of their life. I think it's a nice little touch too, because Tina wearing black and white is probably indicative of their last meeting where Stanley mentioned the black and white power tie. So like it's in her head uh, that these are powerful colors. So she wears a dress that is powerful. Oh, so that's I, interesting. Yeah, I thought yeah. that was kind of cool. Yeah, um, that's interesting. <clears throat> another time. The first time that the mask appears, he's wearing a, uh, the mask becomes uh, he's got like a red zoot suit slash pajamas. Yes. It's very yes, strange. Yeah, uh, yeah. And later in that, in his first like, you know, going out in town, he wears a circus performer type get up for the balloon, balloon animal sequence. Both mm-hmm. very strong reds. Um, and it makes him pop from his background. Uh, the auto shop that he goes to, to, you know, like viciously assault those men uh is kind of bizarre because when you look at the exterior shots of it and the interior uh lighting uh the exterior has neon green signs and it's like against a background of brick walls which frankly just feels impossible so like once again it's me going like this kind of seems intentional and then when they cut inside there's like green strong green lighting uh and if we the background on the auto shop is that they're also of ill repute. They are scamming him. Uh, and so he's coming back and kind of like, you know, giving them their comeuppance, um, which makes sense with the themes of like green is something to be like stamped out or green is like uh, unnatural or out of control. Um, yeah. Can I just also add, given that interpretation, it's interesting. The money is not very green. Yeah, like they the don't money do is like very black and white, actually. Yeah, that's... yeah, but like, it, I think it fits because like the money is noticeably not green enough. Mm-hmm. Like it looks fake in a world where not everything looks fake. Yeah, yeah that's so right. like I, th- I think that adds to your theory, actually. Yeah, I think it's because that they choose <laughs> uh, colors around the world to be more muted so that the sequences with the mask pop. Um, Mm. that's something I'll go into a little bit in terms of like design theory. Um, but yeah, I think that that's very astute. Um, I want to lodge, I want to lodge a question now that I don't want to derail your argument. And I think it's, so the question is the yellow suit that I think is the most iconic mask Mm -hmm. suit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 
I noticed that that's not among the colors that you're listing. What are your thoughts on that? Because I, I have one small theory, but I'll, I want to let you say uh, Yeah, I think it has to do with tertiary colors. Um, okay. It's, which is something I want to get into a little later. Okay. Um, but if you notice that his like typical getup, he's, he actually has a more straightened, like literally a tie that is the same power tie that they're now stronger, more bold lines. Like if you look at the tie that he wears, it's the same as his, uh, power tie. So that's one thing, uh, that deals with that wardrobe choice. I think the, um, I think the yellow is, it's not really a part of this theory. There's not a lot of strong yellows in this movie. I think it's just literally one of the things to make the green pop because when you get into, which it does, yeah, it does because just like um, you know, when you look at colors, yellow and green are you know uh, they look they look nice next to each other, you know, because they're fairly close. I have a theory uh, yeah. that I What's think will theory? reinforce what you're doing here. Uh, my theory is that the yellow is a subtle way of reinforcing our association with him as a protagonist because we're all we all kind of have yellow trench coat Dick Tracy in our head. Oh, like, so it's I, like I, more of a cultural nod. Yes, to our... I think so. I, because if you're a director, you're worried that this character mm-hmm. might be unlikable if he goes too far, and you also don't want to, you don't want to like rein Jim Carrey in. You want Jim Carrey to be able to do what he does because that's what the movie's about, really. Mm-hmm. You know, like is you know, let's enhance Jim Carrey. That's the, that's the premise of the movie mm-hmm. is let's get more of than Jim Carrey could do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I feel like as a director, you would want to kind of counterbalance that with like visual iconography that helps sell how you're supposed to feel about him. Mm-hmm. Right. And Dick mm-hmm. Tracy, n- it, pretty recent film. It only been a couple years. And that outfit is very close to what yeah, Jim, to that's, Dick Tracy. That, you know, it's not something that we wouldn't think about at the time when it came out. Yeah. Cause that's or also a swing. Psychologically, uh, yeah. subconsciously, I mean. Um, yeah, I, I buy that. I buy that. Uh, mm. I think it's just like one of those color choices in addition to what you said that it just really, um, it's like the starkness of the colors that I'm going to mm-hmm. talk about because there are like muted reds and muted greens and, you know, grays in this film that don't really f- abide the strong choices. But my argument is more that if you look at the actual colors, uh, and they're like the true color values of them. Uh, they're, we're talking about different greens, you know, like we're, it's a difference between like crimson and like burgundy or something like that, you know, both I, red, I, but do they represent the same feeling of red? Um, to me, except for that yellow suit, this movie, this movie has a bunch of colors in it. It's got cyan in it. It's got mm-hmm. like blue, but really it's green, red and black and white. Like, like you, you yeah. completely identified it. Like there's a lot of Browns. Ipkiss wears a lot of Browns. Yeah. You I don't think even those muted colors. It. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually, um, yeah, well, I'm going to talk about some of the specifics. Cool. Uh, but just chronologically still in the movie, uh, Nico, the kind of, uh, auxiliary villain, like the villain that causes the real villain to like become more villainous, Nico, who's the guy that you're introduced with a, a scene in his like huge studio apartment, I guess, uh, where he's golfing off of Dorian's face right. and he's kind of like, he's the power vacuum, but he never really gets the mask. So he's, he becomes in the third act kind of not, it doesn't matter. And if you notice, notice the colors in that, you get a lot of stark black and whites 
in the background of his apartment, but his floor is inexplicably a red carpet with a circle of green carpet, which is where he, like that's the golf green. So he's in this circle. Uh, he's eternally in the circle of like red and green, which are both power colors. Um, yeah. And he does his more, he does his work, I guess he does his mob work when he's in the green circle. And that's just something I think that was probably intentional. hundred um, percent. Uh, you and I are going to talk as soon as you've wrapped up this argument, we're going to mm-hmm. talk about this villain. I need to talk a lot about him. <laughs> All right. I, I'm like, you know, I, somebody stop me on this. Cause mm-hmm. I, like, I got one for you on this. Uh, anyway. Ipkiss, on the other hand, uh, now jumping kind of closer to the, um, like when it's normal and not, like the stark colors and yellow suit and the, you know, the, the strong green mask and the blacks and whites, uh, or the power control characters like Tina and Dorian and, uh, and Nico, uh, you get just, you get the, uh, valets. You also get the bouncers at the, uh, Coco, Coco Bongo. And they all wear black and white in this movie. That's a choice. Every single one of the bouncers wear black and white in this movie. Uh, if you look at Ipkiss's apartment, literally they light it greener as the movie goes along. Something you don't for at first notice, but look at the scene where the detective visits him to ask him about the pajamas because he gets shot at and a piece of his tie falls off as the mask and it turns into his pajamas, which the direct detective saw and met, made note of that they're stupid pajamas earlier in a right. different scene. So he was like Ipkiss and that's how he kind of connects. So he has something to do with the mask. And when the detective arrives, uh, there's green light coming through the windows, which makes no sense. Just another note. I think it's probably something that uh, as the film goes along and Ipkiss uh, is becoming more and more enthusiastic about being the mask and like he, he feels like the mask is more him than he is. Uh, which we, you know, learn later that that's the wrong step because it's, you know, typical comedy structure, story structure. Um, it, it feels very. That- it, it feels like it's descended from a kind of sensibility that you saw, like in a lot of '80s comedies. Mm-hmm. Uh, like one that really stands out is like Heather's mm-hmm. the movie. Heather's they do a lot of like that kind of lighting, where they're really really aggressively use like using color in as lighting to tell you themes. Yes. You know, uh, and Heather's like they're, they make such obvious color choices, you know, like it's like this one's the red one, this one's the blue one. Uh, so like, you know, it hits you on the head a little bit, but it felt very much of that same Mm -hmm. school. Twice in the film, uh, Tina, uh, once when she returns to the bank after the bank robbery slash the first like mask encounter, uh, she's right. wearing black, white, and red, uh, very strong blacks, whites, and reds. Like it's like scarlet red and black and white dress again, uh, or like blouse and dress, uh, skirt combo. And mm. then in landfill park where they kind of have their first Tina wants to meet the mask because she's going to betray, um, betray him supposedly we don't really know yet she's in black and white and when the mask appears he's this french guy and does this whole french bit and he's wearing black white red red handkerchief coat and pants and black and white shirt so that's a lot that's kind of a lot of specifics that they like are marking these characters with these colors and uh 
you know, I don't know or want to really go into why that's interesting or if it's a good choice or if the movie's good. That's not what this is about. <laughs> it's about the fact that they did this work. And I want to talk about, so now right. you know what the colors are and you know, like, I feel like I've proven. And if you rewatch the movie, they're there. These, mo these nods are there and they're continuous through the movie. It's not like she just has one outfit. Uh, they're doing this. So if you're a filmmaker and you're like, okay, how do I make these colors sustain? But also I have many, many scenes to get through with many, many choices on things like what's my wallpaper in this scene? What's the background of this scene? What's this look like? You have to clearly match visual, your visual strategy and iconography that you've already set up and make sure that you're not getting in the way of it. So choices like these red, green, black, and white demarcations force the filmmakers into that choice. And by that, I mean, uh, what do you do with all the other stuff? You kind of have to choose around the basic color theory you deployed, right? To maintain that the movie's still visually pleasing uh, and that, you know, often filmmakers will like do, they'll control the palette uh, in different ways. And I, I just want to remind everyone again that this is an episode about the color analysis of the 1994 movie, The Mask. <laughs> uh, somebody stop me. If you watch this movie, look at scenes like there's a scene in Ben Stein's office where ben there's Stein. no mask yeah. shit. There's right. no like there's no mask shit. It's just a Stanley Ipkiss talking to Ben Stein. That's all it is. And if you look at the walls, they're all muted greens, reds, grays, blacks, and whites. This is because when the director isolates a palette and works with the production design team, they ultimately make decisions within palette, even if they don't know if that fabric or wallpaper is going to be used in a particular scene at first. Like, that's just how filmmaking works. It's like, this is our color palette. Okay, I know that almost all the time that I'm going to buy, like, look at wallpaper, it's got to look good in this color palette. And so right. then they decide later that's great for that wall or something like that. This is something that often happens in Hollywood filmmaking because they have to like kind of do their work before they can do their work. Yeah. You uh, have to end up, if you make a strong choice like this, you have, you end up having to sort of like juggle individual applications mm -hmm. for a while while you're trying to find like good executions. So like, you're trying to find a really great wallpaper before you're trying to find the wallpaper for Ben Stein's office. Yes. And then when you have the good wallpaper, it's like, okay, so these are the four I could be. Well, this one's too saturated or whatever put in Ben Stein's office. So this is the one we're going to use. And mm -hmm. it may not say exactly the thing that each of these colors are supposed to say, but it reinforces the application in a broader sense. So it's fine. It also visually looks good because it doesn't feel like it's a different movie. Um, right. It's smart to keep those colors going, but at the same time, protect the audience's eyes from noticing that color when the directors want you to is right. essentially the thrust of it. Like what was that? I think, I think it was the movie. I think it was called hero. There was that film. It was a foreign language film yeah. that was basically jelly. Yeah. Yes. Or, uh, jelly. Yeah. It was three retellings, and everything in each retelling was just one color. Yes, and that's how they use the color. And like, you just that's never stop seeing loud. it. Yeah, very yeah, loud, you never stop but very stylized it. and very cool. Yeah. I think when we say stylized, I'm arguing that this also has style. I mean, it's For sure. a mask, but uh, <laughs> it's also like it's a muted style um, in a lot of ways versus like a film like Hero, where it's like 
kind of thought of as artistic because it's like, oh, yes, it's all yellow. It's all red. It's all right. blue. And right. I'm like, okay, yeah, I see that. But it's just saying it's louder. It's not necessarily doing anything different than what the mask is doing. Um, I mean, I would argue, uh, I mean, that in a lot of ways, the mask is a much more subtle film mm-hmm. than than uh, Hero, uh, at least with its like sort of background art, mm-hmm. a lot more subtle. Doesn't make it better, but. Teach their own, man. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Well, I mean, you're saying that's exactly what you're saying too. Is like heroes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> hero is a blast of color, like the game Splatoon or something. Each mm-hmm. scene, you know, mm-hmm. um, and the mask at least it has these like subtler variations. Anyway, yeah, a subtler film. That's, that's what I what said. Yeah, <laughs> good. We're on the same page. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you fucking whirlwinded me into your opinion finally. Like a Tasmanian devil. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, a great. There's two like methods we see time and time again in film. This is like film school for all you people who didn't want to pay for it. Two methods that, so if we're taking this thing that we're talking about, there's two great ways to do this. And mask does both. One of them is choosing. I want you to all imagine in your head what you think the color wheel looks like, right? Like imagine the color wheel. Um, there's something, you know how there's primary and, uh, if you don't remember your elementary school color science, there's like you got primary, secondary colors, right? There's something called tertiary colors, right? A lot of people don't teach this, but you kind of get the gist because it's kind of doing the same thing. That's usually when you mix primary and secondary color together and you get these in-between colors like mixing blue and magenta, a primary and a secondary color, and you get violet, right? Oh, yeah. You're following me? I'm so this you. now reminds you of blue and it ties it to the thing that, let's say, if I wanted blue to be important, makes me think, oh, it's a cool color. It's like blue. It's blue adjacent, um, but it's not blue. So right. this is kind of what we're talking about with the like Ben Stein walls and stuff with the greens. They're not the mass green. They're like a muted green. Uh, and this is done in a lot of the walls and staging of the scenes in the mask, like Stanley's apartment, the bank, the streets, and as well, Landfill Park. Um, another methodology that you'll use is not just choosing different color values, which is what we would say is the, you know, blue magenta violet difference, but there's a strategy, uh, in terms of additive color theory, which is taking your main colors like green in this movie and choosing art elements and placing them in the movie in just lower saturation. Now by desaturating a color, that's what we call a pastel. Pastels have a high value or color brightness, like they're bright green, but they have low saturation. Mm-hmm. That might be confusing to some people who haven't really studied what color theory is, but just like kind of you can search those terms uh, and see what's the difference between color brightness and color saturation and y- Bada bing, bada boom. You got it. <laughs> you got yourself uh, a spicy meatball. <laughs> That's a spicy meatball. Yeah. Um, these are usually placed in scenes where we see like the starker colors themselves. So if you're presenting like the mask in his full maskness, usually if you want to keep your color power palette intact, you will make pastels do the work for you. So the bolder, more primary colors uh, pop from the background of the pastel walls. This happens in like mainly the Coco uh, Bongo. It also happens even just in the streets and like the greens that I was talking about that kind of evoke almost all of the city. Um, 
What you get in the end is an array of colors that feel contextually cadent, but the main colors in your color palette uh, strategy that I was mentioning before are never quite drowned out. Uh, and then lastly, I guess there's three tactics. This one's less of a tactic of how you use color and how you don't use color. So it's the, it's jazz. It's the notes you don't play, um, which is removing color value entirely. So the tactic again, that the mask uses is just developing scenes that will have similar, like still use the strategies of like the pastels or the tertiary colors, but they remove like the color green altogether. This is a more drastic change to the psychology of the audience. And so smarter filmmakers typically leave it for sections that would thematically make sense which this movie does, for example. You notice that all the Peggy Brant scenes, if you don't remember Peggy Brant, she's the redhead uh, reporter who is at first seems like an ally because she's like, uh, she's she's like, oh, you're Mr. Nice Guy to Stanley Ipkiss. Women really want that. Yeah, and she's yeah. trying to interview him about like the auto robbery slash assault. Uh, but then later we learn that she's actually in cahoots with uh, Dorian, the big bad of the movie, and literally turns uh, against and betrays Stanley. Um, yes, that actually was a surprising move, by the way. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah, there wasn't – that's, I think, canon with, like, the – I think it's canon with the – With uh, the comic? With comic, yeah. That's incredible. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, it's <laughs> – there's wow. a whole thing to unpack. I don't even know what the comic is like, but it feels very, like, men rights activist to me. It's like you can't trust any of these women, man. But uh, I don't it's, know. It, it, the, the view of romance and love is, uh, let's say, antiquated. Uh, because indeed. Yeah, <laughs> let's remember that Stanley Ipkiss describes his his version of the mask as being a love crate like a romance crazy wild man. That's how mm-hmm. he describes that character. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. So yeah. So I don't when know. you look I don't at Peggy, that. when you look at the Peggy Brant scenes, they just don't have green the entire movie right until she betrays him. Then literally the next shot when she's like receives the money which you know she the the movie might as well make the green emit a green light or the 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 money emit a green light because it cuts to where the goons take stanley like they're gonna kill him to the section where they're in this warehouse and it's to like these industrial rollers i think for like printing newspapers yeah and it's absolutely bathed in green light Yep. So we're back, baby. It's mask time. Um, and it's also the first scene where uh, Dorian puts on the mask. So in that way, they've removed green until it was important again. But Peggy Brant felt like uh, like a respite from the green. I think, again, intentional. Likewise, Act it has, 2 and... Th- it has to be, because let me tell you something. As a, as a fellow member of the Redhead tribe, green is a color we look fucking amazing against. Mm-hmm. Like we, we, babe, we sparkle like an emerald against <laughs> against a green background. It takes a hell of a lot of restraint not to put some green behind Peggy Grant. Like Ruby France. on, we like really Ruby do, baby. On emerald, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we really do. Love yeah. it, love it. They so need you, you know that. So yeah, yeah. Wow, you're picking up what I'm I'm dropping. Mm-hmm. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise, in Act Two and Three, uh, there's a section where Stanley just no longer has the mask because of story reasons. 
And right. strong reds, greens, blacks, and whites are not featured at all during the section. It took me two times watching the mask to realize that if you watch the, you know, like 20 minute, 25 minute section uh, in act two and three, where he doesn't have the mask, where he's in the, um, in jail, uh, he's in jail and such. Yeah. Um, they just don't exist in the color palette. Uh, and that's crazy amount of control. It make it get, it throws in the face of the thing I was saying earlier, where it's like, you want the movie to feel like it's a, not a different movie, but it kind of shows you how flexible this theory is too. It's still doing exactly the things I'm saying, but like we all watch movies with fresh eyes. When you cut to a new scene, you're not going to, and it doesn't have any of the colors that the previous scene had. That's not too much of a leap for a filmmaker to say like, ah, I can't do that. Then they'll lose like the thread. No, it's I, kind I, of a soft touch is I guess what I'm saying a little bit. I did notice the moonlight in those in that. Yes. That was when I was like, man, that moonlight's really blue. I think and, they chose the blues, but yeah. if you notice that blue is always the blue moonlight. It, you it just is. noticed it less in his apartment and Correct. such because you didn't have those greens and stuff. Again, color theory. It's kind of important. It's it's kind of a intense craftsmanship, uh, like production designers and art directors and costumers. Like they have to know this shit. And it's not like that one. Why? Because I like it. No, it's like no. It makes the character not like I lose the power of the character. They don't pop, you know, like you have to know this shit. Or and you it's can't. clearly, it's clearly a different application than mm-hmm. say somebody like Jeannot, who was working at the same time and used mm-hmm. similar color palettes mm-hmm. in movies like Amelie. Uh, mm-hmm. Like he, I, to my memory, doesn't take breaks from his yeah. color palette application. He just sort of, the, the world is this. Right. Uh, you know, which is different than what the mask is. Like, yes, the mask is telling is giving us a world, but it's also like giving us a break from the world when the narrative requires it. And that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And then the last bit chronologically is the ending of the movie. Um, once the film is resolved and he throws the mask off the bridge where he found it uh, and he gets the girl and all that stuff. Uh, the city itself is now golden orange. It's like sunset or sunrise. You can't really tell because all the th- it's like all the backgrounds are matte paintings. But um, there's no cool colors, no greens, no blues. Um, it's like almost it's like a sunset show, like I said. So um, I think that's because it's over and the mask no longer has power. Uh, we kind of have these new. We introduce these new colors. Um, and a lot of movies pay attention to this color separation for the denouement because the end of the movie should literally feel like we've gone to a new place. Um, and so, yeah, in conclusion, I think this is design. It's not a good movie, but again, um, <laughs> a big thing on the show is that the choices that are often made most laughable in cinema are ought not be placed at the doorstep of things like costumes, production design, the art department, the builders, the makeup artists there. It's usually the writer's, like the producers and ultimately the director. That's it. Somebody stop me. <laughs> That's my theory. I cannot about the believe mask. how many times you got away with saying that. I cannot believe it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, listen. Am I allowed? I, I don't want to ruin anything, but can I take us on a new journey here briefly? Yeah, fucking let's talk about Nico or whatever yes. you want to talk about. Okay, so that guy, why does the movie need him to have the mask at all? 
Wait, are you talking about Dorian? I'm talking about okay. Nico never has the mask. Are we? So then I'm I'm getting him crossed. Is Dorian the guy who's like the the sleazy underling who's rebelling against his overlord? We'd barely even meet. Yes, that's Dorian. Nico is the like the king. But uh, he doesn't matter. Yeah, he he's such he a disposable matter. figure. Yeah, it's just that I was just mentioning him once because he was Got a it. part of the power structure of the movie, and right. he is shown even over Dorian as having even having green and red in his house. Sure, literally just to, just to make that artistic statement, probably because he right. ends up not mattering one bit. So Dorian puts on the mask and like basically does one trick. Uh, and that one trick is he swallows bullets and spits them out, which is what kills his boss, right? And I'm like, okay, yeah. that's a mask thing. But like, I just, I just found myself feeling like, what if they'd cast Alan Rickman in this part? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, what if they'd cast somebody who was actually funny oh. as a villain yeah. and let him do some mask shit? Dude, he should. It should be two masks. Like yes. we should dope because like. Stanley gets the whatever the the mask is, you know, whatever big head is. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. He is like he's he, quotationalism is his thing. He's you know he's a rapscallion. Uh, the other guy's just evil. Even the dog is like playful and like lo- yeah, like it's funny. Yeah, yeah. They even build into the thing. They say Loki is like the the mask is tied to Loki, the god who's okay, a chaotic sure. god, trickster god. Yeah. And there's no trickster whatsoever in Dorian when he puts on the mask. That's true. Yeah, he turns into basically an Arnold clone. Uh, yeah, and, and I couldn't, I couldn't guy. help but think like, why didn't they try to get Robin Williams or somebody like that to put the mask on and be the bad guy at the end? Because. Like, then you'd have a totally different villain mask thing, and it would be like, oh, this is great. For the third act? That's fucking awesome. Yeah. Right? Yeah, baby. I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, right. Can you imagine what Robin Williams would have done with the mask on? Uh, Yeah, I mean, obviously, if they could get someone who could go, you know, tit for tat with Jim Carrey, they would have. And that's what we need. Yeah, that's what... But they actually got a really, like... Eric Roberts looking motherfucker, you know, who's like kind of whatever. He was the, like, he he's was fine. the wrong He did a good guy. job, but he fu- he's good at like the crony, like he's good at like the seedy underbelly. Like I, I, yeah, I have my own dreams. He's like right. tortured and right. like he, it's tough for him. Like he just doesn't have like the charisma and star power like uh, Jim Carrey does. In, of course not. Know, let me tell so you what he they just avoided doing it. Let me tell so you what he's amazing at. Out. Let me what tell you what he's amazing fucking at? amazing at. In the movie Usual Suspects, he is amazing at flicking cigarettes. He's the guy. <laughs> yeah. He's the guy I think that I flicks that, that cigarette yeah. right in in. Uh, I think it's McManus. Alec, uh, Alec, not Alec Baldwin. The other Baldwin. Stephen Baldwin's eye. Mm-hmm. You know, he flicks that cigarette, hits him right in the eye, and it's yeah. fucking awesome. <laughs> like it's like, wow, yeah. dude. Uh, he's a real great sleaze in that movie, uh, which I enjoy better than this movie. Yeah, I was just kind of disappointed by the idea of like, oh, so other people are going to put on the mask, like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but they're, none of them are going to do anything even close to what Jim Carrey's doing. Yeah, you know, it, because... Yeah, that's a missed opportunity. Like, how do you do that? I mean, how do you do that? Right, I know. I, I, well, you don't no, cast... I think the... They if the if they wrote it that way and they had to go get that, uh, that would be amazing. But they didn't because I think they knew their limitations in that front. 
Well, it's you say that, and I agree with you. Of course, I'm, I'm sure that's true because it's obvious. In that the 1994 sh- context, I I think movies now we could be a little more fast and loose. They're shooting on a stage, very clearly. Like it's very clearly on like a set, right? For the most part, right. and. Jim Carrey is like nuclear hot at this point in his career, right? Like he'd already done Ace Ventura. He was probably like minutes away from filming Dumb and Dumber, right? And and the Ace Ventura sequel. So I feel like it's weird that they didn't try to I think he also by the way done the cable guy at this point. Like it's weird that they didn't try to like get a big counter star because they like, it would have made a big difference. Like even if it had been somebody on the level of Sean Young in Ace Ventura, who's a really decent foil to yeah. Jim Carrey, you know, like I've I have my objections to that character and to even the performance, but of she it. brings it. She's going for it. That's exactly it. We need somebody who's going for it. Who's mm-hmm. also in this world, you know, like that's what's missing in the movie to me is like we need uh we need Al Pacino as you know uh the same character he was in Dick Got Tracy. A nice ass. <laughs> right. What's the what's the what's the character he plays in Dick Tracy? Uh, uh like, I don't fucking know. He's man. that weird. I know what he looks like. I don't. Other than Mumbles, I don't know a single name. Oh, Mumble and Flat Top. Flat Top. Flat yeah, Top. Yeah. Probably. Uh, yeah. I don't. I'm gonna look it up because he's worth not the Mumbles. Time. He's not Dick Tracy. So who knows. <laughs> I don't care. I, so don't who, care. I don't fucking care. But I know care. what you're talking about. Like, yeah, everyone's 11 in that movie. Well, that's what we needed, I think. Uh, Except Warren Beatty. <laughs> Warren Beatty's like a, a real six in that movie. I yeah, completely agree. Like, but that actually is fine, right? In the movie. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's actually fine. That was the thing that was kind of like, the movie felt more joyless to me than I remembered. Because... To me, like, I'm not thrilled with the CGI computer effects of the mask. Like, not just because they're bad, like, for now. They're also just not as interesting as Jim Carrey is, right? Like, aren't you more interested in Jim Carrey? Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, when he becomes Wolfie, Auga. <laughs> well, but that's all, right. It's when he puts the mask on, exactly. So, mm. like, to me, it's like, it, yeah, it just felt like half of a sketch idea. You know, where it's like, oh, but we're missing that Majus thing that would have made this sketch like like we would have remembered it forever. I mean, you you had me when you were like, what if it was Alan Rickman? And Alan was, Rickman like, would have like, crushed the earth yeah, with this. No, like, you, like, I don't know where to go from there because yeah. that's you're just right. Right. I'm uh, sorry. I, I don't <laughs> I think we all would. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I'm not trying to shit on your theory. I'm just saying you're absolutely right. I have nothing. No notes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like that would be an amazing movie. I wish they were that bold. Um, I feel yeah. like they had the money. It, it just felt very like they in a lot of ways. Did, yeah. This movie did gangbusters, by the way. Yeah, of course it did. Jim Carrey was like a nuclear bomb in the entertainment industry, like mm-hmm. for a good six, seven years there. Yeah. Like he did everything, and he like he made a fuckload of movies too. Uh, he was everywhere, and the mask was like this is why I remember the movie so well. The advertisements were ubiquitous, as I said. Like mm-hmm. I remembered all the lines from the trailer. As I was watching it, mm-hmm. um, I'm just looking for my mask. Yeah, I got it. it's uh, you know? it was a twenty mil twenty million dollars to make budget wise. It made three hundred and fifty million dollars. That is a mammoth success. That for is unbelievable. Nineteen ninety four. I mean, it was a uh, summer movie, so it was supposed they they knew it was, um, but yeesh, right? It probably got pumped up to a summer movie after Ace Ventura, right? 
Yeah, that like that's sense. my guess. Like, uh, I mean, I you know we could look into the history of this here, but like, if you look at Jim Carrey's IMDb, which I'm going to do right now, uh, mm-hmm. I'm looking down at his filmography. It here. only it was the it was the same year as Ace Ventura: Pet Detective, and so 1994 was the year that he arrived because Ace Ventura, The Mask, and Dumb and Dumber all came out in oh. 1994. Wow. And then 95 was Batman Forever and, and, and Ace Ventura 2. And, okay, and then Cable 96 was Cable Guy, 97 was Liar Liar, 98 was Truman Show. I'm, so, so I'm guessing that like people, before Ace Ventura came out, people were already like, dude, you got to get Jim Carrey. You got to get him. Right? Because that's the only way the math makes sense to me. Of making those yeah, three movies in one it. year. I haven't looked into it. I don't, yeah, I mean, because that's very curious to me. Uh, just, you know, there's no way that Ace Ventura comes out. People are like, this guy's a big commodity. And then he films The Mask and Dumb and Dumber in time for them both to release that year. Mm-hmm. No chance well, that happened. Yeah, I mean, Ace Ventura came out in February. Right. July was The Mask. Right. And Dumb and Dumber uh, was In December. the winter. And so everybody was losing their minds by that time. Like, yeah. Yeah. By the time Dumb and Dumber came out, it's like the least high concept of all of them. And everyone was like, I'm going to go see it. And Dumb and Dumber, by the way, was way also better. made for less than 20 million and it made 250. So of that year, it made less between, money than The Mask. The Mask made the most money Whoa. by a large, like The Mask. Okay. So 15 million Ace Ventura, that's budget. 100 million box office. The mask, yeah. again, those numbers being 18 to 23 million, 350. Yeah. And Dumb and Dumber, 17 million, 250. So, like, about 300% of, uh, 300% uh, of Ace Ventura and, you know, uh, like 33% of more, 133% of, uh, of Dumb and Dumber. So it was like by far the, the, the best of the three in terms, in terms of, of like, box office. That's very yeah, I surprising. Think, and I mean, it's because it's got, it's like a wild premise. Look at them. I mean, look at them. And also it's writing the Ace Ventura wave because it, it that like that doesn't yeah. keep into account. Like it's like word of mouth. The, and stuff, yeah. the sheer amount, the volume of people who rented Ace Ventura or bought the, the tape. That's right. Is like, you know, mammoth, like way more than the, mm-hmm. than they made in mm-hmm. the theaters for sure. Yeah. So, and all three of these became cult successes as well, like you said. Well, Dumb and Dumber, like for years, is still funny, isn't it? I haven't watched it in a while, but it, like, I watched it about five years ago. I thought it was still pretty funny. I mean, it's funny in the '90s way. Like right. when you realize that the most of the jokes in Dumb and Dumber and like these type, they're references to like a bygone era. Like, right, right, there's, right, right. There's Forrest Gump jokes in Dumb and Dumber. You know, like. I, yeah, there's that, some, but you but, lose your mind when you like walked out of the theater two months before or three months before, and then like <laughs> you walk into uh, you know uh, another movie, and they're like spoofing that movie that you just were like, oh, I just watched this like months ago. Yeah, that was weird. You lose your fucking mind like a little kid because you're like they're like all talking to each other. It's like I'm a part of like a like a zeitgeist, and uh, that now is just it's all like that okay. couldn't happen. And also, Forrest Gump was in theaters forever, 
Like it, like right. It was in theaters for a really long time, <laughs> right. as I yes. recall. Uh, that was a huge hit. Dumb and Dumber still has things in it. I mean, you know, that's not what this is about, but like, like I'll still always laugh at the way he fucking squirts ketchup and mustard into his face. When is when, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. uh, or like our pets' heads are falling off, or you know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's just stuff that's like, yeah, man, this is great. Uh, and the mask did not do any of that for me. And Ace Ventura did a tiny little bit of it for me when we went and watched that for this show. <laughs> so I guess we're going to have to do a dumb and dumber director piece. I just like, I just, I could listen to this forever. Just you <laughs> saying like, I, you know what? This two is, stars. This is how two much stars. I liked it. <laughs> Jim Carrey, two stars in this no, one. Just like, like, I need, let's talk about Jim Carrey by Adam Gansey. You know I, mean? I love it. Well, I fucking well, love it. What blows my mind about it, dude, because like, think about this. Like, honestly, think about this. If you're a filmmaker, <laughs> in one year, this man goes from obscure comic on a show that was like a less oh, popular yeah. show than SNL to the biggest star in the cinema since Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like, yeah, he, he is a mountain of a of a success in one fucking year. In one fucking year. It's unbelievable. Yeah. February, uh, July, December, get out of town. And he, right, and it's like the guy made almost a billion dollars in 90s and money. And 1994 is not a year to slouch. Like, that is a That's big a good year. year. Yeah. That's a good movie year. Yes, it is. Uh, Pulp Fiction's in, out. Uh, formatively in our generation, that 94, 95, 96. Ooh, baby. Those you are really good of, years. Yeah. You got a lot of like big films yeah. that like definitely lasted in the minds of many people for a long time. Definitely. I mean uh, that that's uh when I did that class at uh when I did that Boonwell and Almodovar class at USC, mm-hmm. they would casually reference the golden era of cinema as the nineties <laughs> in the US. Like that's really? that yeah. That's I the mean thing that's definitely the golden era of blockbuster. I think that's what they meant in this context, but it's been a long time because yeah, okay. we were talking a lot about yeah. Franco as a dictator in Spain. So I don't know, man. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't, like, know, man. Like, I don't uh, know, man. Anyway, uh, but if you're a director yeah. in 1994 and you have Jim Carrey doing this concept, right? If if you're in that situation, like you got bottled lightning here. Oh yeah. You know, like uh, that's well that that's what led them to the following year. That's why Batman Forever. He's so unhinged. It's like I kind of uh, like him in like, that though. I kind of like the way he did that. When someone gets so much success, they don't get edited, right? You know, and so they're like letting them loose the next year because well, they're like, "Holy shit, Ace Ventura: The Mask, Dumb and Dumber." <laughs> Uh, what else you got, buddy? We're just going to let you go because you cannot go wrong. You can't miss. And then after yeah. that, they were like, you know what? Maybe uh, maybe we start doing a little bit more like, you know, su- subdued cable guys and liar liars and Truman Show. He was great in cable guy, by the way. Uh, yeah. That's still him. Still him. But like Ben Stiller yeah. directed that movie. Uh, yeah. And I tried to get a director piece out of it and I could not. Uh yeah, See, I mean, he makes he made like I don't know seven very memorable films between 1994 and 1998 when he did the Truman Show. Oh yeah, uh, that's no a, doubt. Like the Truman you Show like is like an anti Jim Carrey movie, and that's only four years after he even splashed onto the scene. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I don't know, man. Like Liar Liar is a fucking great movie, mm-hmm. as I recall. It's been a, a while, but you know, The Cable Guy is uh, also a very good movie, as I recall. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, just very impressed with the work yeah, let's he did. Just na- let's just name Jim's Carrey man. <laughs> Bruce Almighty, baby. That's see now that's a that's a return to form, right? 
Do you remember the incredible Burt Wonderstone? <laughs> yes, I do. Dude, how good is he, though, in Kick-Ass 2, though? Honestly. Have you seen that movie? I, I think Jim Carrey is so good at being all the way committed that even if I don't like the joke, uh, I enjoy the acting, like the commitment on an actor level. Oh, yeah. Like, he does you know? a lot of, like, yeah, and he wanted to show the world that, like, in the Truman Show and Man on the Moon, and he had this face. He's not an unhinged in, like, maniac. Right. He's not just a maniac. But, like, he also has the subtlety, like, uh, Kick-Ass 2 was amazing to me because, like, he had he had done his, you know, like, subdued phase. Right. He had done stuff like Eternal Sunshine Eternal and Sunshine. Spotless right. Mind. Uh, but he kind of never returned. Like, he, he did... um didn't he he did some of the like the Grinch and stuff he did like that was a lot of in the, 2000 but they were like children's stuff right but like when Kick-Ass 2 came like it was like you are still Ace Ventura in this role but it's like it's so different because the con- the context and he's so aware of it that I have to give it to him for the, that movie that performance is super good uh, I think and he's I'm not kind the of, biggest Jim Carrey fan I'm not so. either I think he's kind of good in like the way that a movie star can be kind of good. Like, mm-hmm. like he's not an actor in the same way that like uh, everybody else, for instance, in the mask is right. Even Cameron Diaz is an actor in that movie. Like they're trying to play the scene. They're trying to respond to what he's doing. That's not what he's doing. Even when he's Stanley Ipkiss, he can't really do that. He's there to like, He's there to get to the bit as fast as he can get to it and try to make bits out of stuff that may not be bits, which is a different job than acting. I mean, he's, yeah, Robin Williams, like you said before, is, right. I think, is perfectly in, like, in terms of, like, a decade or so earlier doing essentially the same thing. It's a thing know? that only a few comedians get to do, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but it is kind of, this is the best achievement we have for... right. Right. Com- I mean, comedians and movies, you know, if you like, if you think about like, when did good morning Vietnam come out? 1988. Also very good. Yeah. Uh, in 1988, that's actually later than I thought, but, uh, like good morning Vietnam, like that, that wasn't really comedy. You didn't do that kind of stuff where it was just like, just fucking go. Just 80, go, 87, by the Robbie. way. Robbie. 87. Uh, and like, and that kind of like primed us, obviously, for animated stuff had been doing that forever because it's a cartoon, literally. But like Robin Williams doing like the genie, that makes 100, 100% makes sense. But uh, Good Morning Vietnam is like very akin to like a, you know, like almost less than a decade version of like what the mask is, which is just like, what are the scenes for? Like, where does the comedy right, come from? Exactly. Well, not, no one matters in this movie, literally except for the scenes where you're like Robin Williams on the radio and the scenes where Stanley Ipkiss is not Stanley Ipkiss. He's got a mask on. It's like, it's a hundred percent of that stuff. Well, and the um, funny thing is good. Good morning. Vietnam is like not a comedy. Like it, it, it's a drama basically yeah. where they have like, and now we're going to do jokes for a good, like, yeah, that's part for the course for like eighties like comedies. Yeah, and, it's I mean like Groundhog Day and stuff like that. We still were using those actors in like the early nineties. Right, that still hadn't left. It was a new type of new breeds of comedians. I think is how the in the same way that Will Ferrell in the early two thousands kind of revolutionized how comedies were doing 
Like, what's the brand of comedy? Well, everyone's looking at Will Ferrell to see, like, oh, it's just like, just let him improv. Yes, just let it's him sketch, improv. It's sketch improv. Yes, just scenarios and bits in character. Right, and then that became comedy for a decade until we got Still tired to of this it. day. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, but then it moved on. It moved on because comedy changes less than every decade. You know, completely. One hundred percent. It's also hard to know what the next big trend in comedy will be because the internet has made comedy a lot more available and localized in some ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I uh, I love this work that you did on The Mask because, again, I'm thinking of myself as the guy having to direct Jim Carrey. And we've done work, you know, with very talented comedic actors. Uh, not Jim Carrey yet, someday perhaps. But, like, I just imagine, like, how do you... Like, how do you make a thing that uh, feels like you've you've hung this thing together artistically when the goal of the enterprise is to let this guy go wild and not plan it, right? Like, isn't that the goal of a Jim Carrey movie? He's like, let's let this guy do what he's going to do. And, yeah, uh, absolutely. and you have to kind of create a box around him uh, and try to, as a director, feel like, man, we made a, a whole cohesive project with those restraints. That's very hard, I think. I... I think you just make, you just, you communicate and you, uh, you make like the boxing in that doesn't make as much sense to me. You, you make their goal, your goal. No, no, but I don't mean box. Right. I, right boxing's the right, is the wrong term. Uh, I'll keep using wrong terms if you let me, uh, <laughs> box, I, I just mean like you're trying to create a container in which this performance goes, mm. right? Like a, like it, it, it's almost like yeah, I'm trying to create a mug for this coffee. You know what I mean? Like the coffee is what you're drinking, yeah. but I want the the experience to feel like that's a great mug of coffee. Right. Yeah. You're not talking about like if the coffee wants to like, you know, I want to fly free. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> We're not talking we about that. can't drink you then. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, I see what you're talking about. You're a vessel, you know, mm-hmm. a vehicle for him. That yeah, enhances um, ideally. Uh, that's really hard in a thing like this. It's hard. It's hard. Uh, and I think that that's, it's like, that's the kind of, tempered hand that's also the big thing that i had a big disagreement with my comedy professors at usc they never liked uh, that yeah yeah they yeah. did not like me yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I loved it by the way funny. i love this shit uh, yeah and uh they they always thought that like you needed to like i don't know i don't want to get into it but it's like there is a philosophical difference between uh i would say uh comedy directors and comedy actors of a different age and of different generations have different philosophies about how you approach this exact problem yep. which is what so whose movie is it yeah that's the uh, thing and i th- is like at the heart of the question and the answer to me is very clear which is why are you going to the movie what do you what do you think the people are like like and it's once you have that answer uh you make all decisions in that direction which is why um, most people in film so. school didn't make comedies uh, yes, it's not that they didn't like them. They do. There's like an them. essential collaboration that they're teaching, and it goes in the face of that. And that's kind of why comedy is comedy. It's funny because it's different. It's funny because it zags when it should zig, you know, like or whatever. It's it does its what what it wants. And people see these walls. People see these things of how things should be done and they notice that and they notice like oh yeah that's there's a reason why we do things this way they they you, people usually 
all everyone kind of admits that there's like a logic to why we do a thing a certain way. But when something's funny, it's usually pointing out at that thing and saying, it's kind of silly that we say that this is the right way to do it. Right. And so like the very premise of most comedy is to throw in the face of that tradition structure. And I get, I don't know. It's not like I'm punk rock or anything. I just always was like, you are defining things like laughably to be like, disagreed with like you're working in a in a space where the whole point is to disagree with tradition and you're telling us so here are the rules of comedy and i'm like that's the you don't under you i feel like you're not listening (laughs) you know is like what i want to say to a lot of these you should have said that that would have been interesting i kind of did and then i never went to that class again and he did not like me and he also gave me a c C? because at usc when you in uh, grad school I know. Wow. Uh, in in uh, in, well, it's because I didn't go. Yeah, but I just stopped going to the class. Yeah, I know. Like you, uh, you can't. You have to really try to not get a B in grad school. I had to have a conversation with uh, uh, J- Jed R.I.P. Yeah, uh, like he was like who yeah. was kind of a counselor, kind of professor. Yeah, he was the guy. head. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's a cool guy, and he was like, "What's going on here? Why aren't you going to these classes?" I'm like, "I don't feel value in it and stuff." There was a conversation. He was like, "Fair enough." Uh, oh, and but, he said, you know, "Fair enough." is isn't gonna flunk you Amazing. because you're paying and you're paying all the loans that you have. So it's like, what are you gonna do? Bankrupt me? Kick me out of here? They're like, "No, no, we're just gonna. This is gonna matter nothing because also no one cares about grades in art school. It's not like anyone's like, I got an A. I have a 4.0 in art. That's a thing. Uh, <laughs> you need to hire me because I, put I that have on the, my resume. I have the great jobs. art. Yeah, uh, that's that, so. Funny. That's a thing I tell my students all the time. Is like, look, you know, care about the grades because of your professionalism, but don't care about yeah. them as a as a indicator of your talent because they're not that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's very good. That's a very good thing for you to tell your students. I think. Well, it's the I mean, truth. It's, I mean, it's honest. Yeah. I, I, have I a, mean, some people might take it the bad way, and you're like, "So you're saying what? That none of this matters?" No. It's I wish somebody would ask me that. So you're saying no? None because of this matters? the answer, no one's going to say that because everyone understands that there's a difference between education and learning. <laughs> yes, that's accurate. And also, I think that uh, I think they, in general, college students appreciate being like the thing they feel being validated about the way systems work, which is, yeah, man, this is a thing mm-hmm. we built. It's not perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is how grades, this is what they actually mean. So, you know, uh, find a different objective marker for your value, my friend, mm-hmm. you know, or ideally you know find what? a subjective one, uh, that you can live with the rest of your life. Try that. Mm-hmm. We should probably wrap up, but I just want to say, I really like this conversation that we're having as product of mask, it's kind of like a mask off conversation, <laughs> like a little bit of truth. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> a little bit I of hate, I hate what you did. I, I hate the way you're ending this. Uh, I hate your sentimentality. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> uh, somebody stop yeah. me. Yeah. This has been a Small Beans Endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The Beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash smallbeans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash smallbeans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the Small Beans grow into huge, giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. 
We love you.